This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. And you're on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9 every Thursday night between 8 and 9. And tonight we've got a nice full studio. So good evening from Rachel. We've also got Claudine. Hello. Driving the show. We've got Mark. Hello. And tonight we have a special guest, Srini. Hey, Srini. Hi, everyone. And we'll be talking to Srini a little later in the show about Hinduism. Um, Interesting fact. So... During the week, I had a conversation about Wiccan and pagan beliefs, and um, I actually looked up that song that was in that's in our introduction, like the earth, the fire, the wind, the water, return, oh. return, return, return. Yeah, and it's a it's a um, a Wiccan song. So my friends made me watch. Um, oh my goodness, what is that movie? It's like from the nineties, and it's got like four teenage girls who are witches in high school. Anyway, if you know that movie, they made me watch that and I was just very interested to go home and do a little more research on it because it's something No, it's something else. Apparently it's like a cult classic. Someone's going to text us or email us and let us know. Do that. So um, if you want to get in on our conversations tonight, send us a text message on 0427-JOY949 or you can send us an email to onair at joy.org.au or if you are listening via the app, you can just do the contact in the top left corner and that will just do it all for you. So Claudine has our holy day of the week for us tonight. Oh, you're not you're not singing the same song. Oh, sure. Okay. I think Claudine has a holy day of the week. A new theme song every week. Every That's week, right? So we're actually in the middle of the week of prayer for Christian unity. That's the 18th to the 20, 25th of January. Uh, except that um, Christians can't even agree on the date for the week of cre- prayer for Christian unity. Um, Probably makes a little bit more poignant to pray harder than if you can't even agree on the week. And that's not very uh, unified then. (laughs) Now, um, so this is is a week that was decided, um, agreed upon by the World Council of Churches, the Roman Catholic Church, and many Orthodox churches. Um, But apparently, uh, I've always known it as happening in the week after Pentecost, and apparently it's that's because... In the Southern Hemisphere, we're off on holidays in January for where kind of churches at least are a ah. bit less um, less active during January. So they've said, okay, you you people in Australia can celebrate this um, in the middle of the year instead when we're a bit more switched on, perhaps. There you go. So it was um so, but I guess this is the this is the global or at least the Northern Hemisphere week of prayer for Christian unity, and um. This is actually a special interest of mine, and we might one day do a program on Christian denominations. But mm. but for now, here's the brief history. I, I thought I'd do a 30-second history, but you can't really do it in 30 seconds. Unless you talk really, really fast. No, even then, I couldn't do it. <laughs> so um, what's, um, what's the problem that Christian unity is trying to solve? Well, the church, the church separated into as you might call it, the Western or Catholic and the Eastern or Orthodox in 1054. So um, Christianity has been going for about 2,000 years, and for half of that, we've been seriously split up. 
the um, and it's not as nearly net as that sounds. It's not just sort of Western or Eastern, but it's there's many um, you know, crossovers and dif- differences between that. So 1054 was the first great um, schism or schism, the first great big division in the church. I mean, there's always been divisions since the time of the disciples, but this was the first big one. So in the 1050s, there were disagreements over some Christian practices like communion and fasting. You know, who would be, you know, how, how, what, what makes up communion? What do you, what sort of bread do you use? Mm. Things that you might think maybe little little details, but people have great give great theological significance to them. Um, and so in 1054, and and there were also um, very human disagreements over who was recognizing each other as leader and who was really. The, I think a lot the of these leader. issues are still present in a lot of yep. Christian churches to this day. Yep. So this was happening at the global level. So in 1054, the, um, it, I mean, things happened a bit more slowly and people were, you know, instead of email, people were writing horses and sending letters to each other. So I don't know how much of this was, was bad timing, but you ended up with the Patriarch of Constantinople in Turkey and the Pope in Rome excommunicating each other. Um, so that was basically saying we're we're not we're not um, we're not we're not okay with each other we're we're not friends anymore <laughs> but on a major scale. Wow! So that was the first big schism, and the next one was in the 16th and 17th centuries, what um, we now know as the Protestant Reformation, and which is what I know better. There's I know also various divisions in the Orthodox churches, which is. Um, that could be another, you know, a topic for another guest, perhaps. But the for the for the Western Church, the next big division was in the 16th century when Martin Luther, he who was a Catholic monk, he denounced some of the practices of the Catholic Church and inspired a movement to um, for Christians to kind of go back to basics and change, um, get sort of pare down some of the. Um, some of the excessive practices of the Catholic Church. So that's what we call the Reformation, which turned out a bit differently in different parts of Europe. So you know, Anglicans in England and Lutherans in Germany and Calvinists in Switzerland all have their own different beliefs and practices, but they all kind of took some inspiration from, from Luther. So at the start of the 20th century, which is when people started having these say, well, maybe we should start talking to each other again. So around that time, you, you had these great sort of three big groups of Christians, the um, the Orthodox, so including Greek, Russian, Coptic, Turkish, and so on, the, mm-hmm. um, the Catholics, which are mostly looking to Rome, and the Protestants, which um, were especially strong in Germanic countries and Scandinavian countries and, and Britain. And so around at the late 19th and early 20th century, various various um, Christians, individuals and organisations started to try and have conversations between these groups. And so this is, this is what we now call um, the ecumenical movement, which is something that I've been personally involved with for a long time. So it's you know, this is... I've sort of written a bit of an essay about this, and nearly wrote a PhD on this. So it's a bit of a wow, <laughs> bit of a dear something dear That's to me. That's for another night as well. That's for another night or a few nights. Um, so this is this started conversations happening like at the local level with different different churches in the same town or suburb, just doing things together, 
going right up to international groups like the World Council of Churches, which coordinates these more high-level theological discussions between church leaders. Um, so things then get a bit more complicated in the kind of middle to late 20th century because um, I suppose as y- there's a bit of a crisis in Christianity, but along with that, young people are getting a bit fed up with the traditional worship and traditional structures of the Protestant churches. So there you see the, um, you know, I think Rachel's smiling, I think Rachel recognises this. You, you yes. start seeing the, the birth of the Pentecostal or charismatic movement. Yes. And so we then start calling the older churches um, mainline, even though they're not as larger population as some of the other churches. So then you've you've got this sort of fourth fourth um group that's come out of the Protestant movement that's a bit more younger and energetic and they haven't been as as involved in the ecumenical discussions but they that's starting to change. So in the last ten years or so, um Pentecostal churches are starting to get involved with the World Council of Churches. I think that's because they don't even mention what ecumenical even means in some of these uh, Pentecostal yeah. churches. I can't say that uh, I ever remember hearing that word growing up. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's a difficult word, and it's and, and it is something that was um, more of the domain of the older and more traditional churches. But it's yeah, you know, it's. I think the I think the group's expanding. So um, the week of prayer for Christian unity, whether it's in January or in. May or April. Um, well, that's the other issue. Because and the the other issue is that um, these. First of all, the the date of Easter keeps moving around. Oh yeah, and that the Western and the Eastern churches don't even agree on the date of Easter, which is the one of the most important dates in the Christian year, and they can't agree on that. But there's been some ecumenical news in that because in the last week. Um, the um, Archbishop of Canterbury, the, uh, the sort of spiritual head of the Anglican Church, has come and said that he's been in conversations with um, church leaders from the Catholic and Orthodox churches and that they're trying to agree on the, the date of Easter. So, um, so that's the, the two problems. First, that they would have a fixed dates because there's some very complicated astronomical calculations. So meaning that it wouldn't necessarily have to be on a Sunday? Oh, it would be on a Sunday. Okay, but Sunday, a particular but Sunday But it would be one, year. and it's something like the the X number of Sunday in February or March or, or something. So that mm-hmm. it would be the same the same date, the, the same Sunday in every year, and that all Christians would, would have the same date of Easter, which would be... Um, as I said, they haven't. We haven't had the same date of Easter for about a thousand years. So, well, that's if, our fault. If well. this if this happens, uh, well, Passover. Well, I guess. Passover well, that's right. Easter so, is loosely so, based on Passover. So we'd have we'd um so we'd lose that connection. Yeah, we'd yeah. lose that connection with Passover. But um, but it might actually get um, it would it would affect things like. Um, public holidays and school terms. So yes. it's not if it does happen, it's going to take a few years. But as the Archbishop of Canterbury said, "It's you know, it's taken a thousand years of discussion to get here, so you know, a few more years." Yes, and then you've got to get the government to agree with it too. Oh, right. So that's yeah, that's why it's going to take at least five years to then prepare your calendars. We'll keep you posted. 
Hello, it's Ro Allen, the Commissioner for Gender and Sexuality, and you're on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9. And as our good mate Ro said, you are on the Spirit Lounge. Uh, thank you very much to our two messages that came through saying The Craft, and that was exactly the movie that I was talking about at the beginning of the show, that the name escaped me. So thank you for refreshing my memory. Uh Yes, the craft. So now we have uh, some questions for Sereni. Thank you for coming in tonight. My pleasure. How are you? Good. That is great. Okay, so uh, let's get straight into it. Um, Were you brought up with Hindu beliefs, uh, values, rituals, that sort of thing? Is your family still Hindu? Um, Yeah, my uh, family is quite uh, religious or uh, they believe quite strongly in Hinduism. Um, we have a little prayer room in any place that we've lived in. Um, I personally would consider them Hindu beliefs and values. However, I think that the um, my perspective is that it's just general values of being a good person. Okay. Like um, uh, one of the things was uh, y- you learn all these stories as a kid. You know, you have your, your big epic poems that are whittled down to st- small little stories for you, for children to read, and um, a lot of that was really about, um, you know, that people have a duty to do good to others, and and you know, you have you have your duty as a person in your life to do what is expected of you or what is right, so to speak. Um, and I think that's that's the kind of value system my parents tried to instill in me, and um, they did that through um, Hinduism in a way, uh, through the religion of Hindu, religious side of Hinduism. Um, and yeah, I, I think that uh, really a lot of what Hinduism is about is just to do your duty as a human being to f- for the good of the people around you. That's um, good. And that's always what um, at least my parents have told me. Good. Good upbringing. So you mentioned just then that every house you've lived in has a prayer room. Is it built, like would you build a house specifically with a prayer room or do you just convert maybe oh, a bedroom no, um, into a prayer room? So in the house we currently live in, when we bought it, there was a little tiny room next to the laundry that couldn't fit anything in it. Um, I think they, the original builders uh, who had built it three years previously used it as a storage room. It perfectly fit a little little shelf where we could put in, put all our little images and idols and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and that's just what it's been ever since. We did, in our previous house, have a big cabinet that was built. Um, my mum is quite an artistic person but wasn't able to execute it, so she spoke to a designer and made this really beautiful ornate shelf as well so uh yeah we we tend to just find a place to do it in in any house that we've been in um whether it's a cabinet or just a little shelf some places will literally just have a little coffee table with whatever they want in there and it's it's not like it has to be of a certain size uh for example my aunt and uncle have a little it's almost a cupboard which is just decked out in all of their you know little uh, ornaments and so to speak and and pictures of different gods that they uh, pray to every day, and it's it's quite a beautiful little shrine. So it is it is used every day. Uh, yeah, well, um, my dad spends a good hour hour and a half every single day, and on Saturdays probably even more. Just in, in prayer. In prayer. Um, wow! And do you think that that would you say that your dad is quite a spiritual person then because he does spend such a long time in prayer? I think for himself he is. And um, my mum is as well. She probably doesn't do as much because um, she spends a lot more time doing other things. Yes. And, and her pers- her perspective is more that 
if you spend your day with uh, with God in your mind or whatever gods uh, in your mind, then that's as good as prayer, uh, as good as sitting down and praying. Um, but yeah, that is quite uh, spiritual. But he's also been quite open to the idea that, um, and and this is something I think that is a misconception even amongst Hindus is the fact that Hinduism is not necessarily purely religion. It's mm-hmm. also a kind of, it's all, it, it also can be a kind of philosophy to live by. Like there are a yeah. lot of prominent Hindus who are also atheist, um, where they take the cultural aspects of Hinduism and, and the, be- like, you know, the, I guess how you behave towards another person, how you dress, all that kind of stuff in the traditions, I guess they take that, but then they may not believe in God. And my dads have even been like, um, look, I don't care if you don't believe in God because Hinduism says you don't have to believe in God. Just be a good kid. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, my dad is very religious for himself, but he's also very open to the idea that no, not everyone has, has to be, to be. Um, and that um, a person's actions matter far more than their proclaimed beliefs. Awesome. I was going to ask this question later on, sure. but I think it's quite relevant now. So the prayers... Are the prayers more like a meditation or are they the chants? Like I know when I was in Bali, I heard a lot of chanting. Um, and can anyone do them or do you have to be at a certain level to be able to? Um, I think the, that's really an it depends question. So uh, my dad, uh, Hinduism has a huge number of scriptures. Yep. The most common one is the Vedas. Um, and really the only people that know them are the ones that you know sit down uh, take the time to be educated in them because it's in sanskrit which is now almost effectively a dead language um no one actually speaks it regularly hindi is like the modern version of sanskrit but uh yeah so the vedas are in sanskrit and very few people actually know them they take a long time to get an education on them and learn them in detail uh there's also a bunch of other prayers um a huge amount uh my dad says a lot of prayers he doesn't know the vedas himself um, but he he has a bunch of prayers that he's done for a very 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 long time, mm-hmm. and that's just what he does um, on a daily basis. And for special occasions, there's a, he has little notebooks that he opens up and reads out of. Um, personally, I think that uh, I, I do know that a lot of people also just meditate because yeah. um, uh, again the idea of the, my mum has espoused to me of just having God in your mind. Yeah. Um, as you go through the day, so it's not so much the words you say, but rather what you have on your mind and what you focus on. Um, and in fact, a lot of meditative yoga um, that I've experienced through Hindu practitioners have, mm-hmm. have been. There's, there's a period of time beyond the whole like yoga exercise where you just sit down and you think about any god you want and you just meditate. Um, and that's, I guess, a form of prayer as well. So. Yeah. Um, it's funny, I, I actually tend to find Hinduism, in my personal experience with others, is incredibly flexible as to the practices. You can do whatever you want. Mm. Um, if it works for you and it doesn't go, if it isn't considered bad. Yeah, so, so there's no like strict laws saying you have to pray 
X amount of times a day or Not anything. Not really. There you go. And you're on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9. And tonight we're interviewing Srini about Hinduism. So if you have any questions, please send us a text on 0427 Joy 949. Or you can send an email to onair at joy.org.au. Or you can uh, use the Contact Us button on the app if that's how you're listening. Or you can go on our Facebook page and we have Twitter now as well. So it's Spirit Lounge Joy. Okay, so Srini, my next question was going to be how many generations of your family have been in Australia? Uh, so my parents first came here in 1985, so they're the first people in the family, I think, to leave India. Wow. Um, so dad did a stint before getting married in Singapore, and my parents, my mum and dad after marriage, moved here in 1985 for several years before my sister got married uh was born sorry before my <laughs> she was married before she was born <laughs> wow genius oh, uh, yeah before she was born so they've been here since 1985 on and off so i've our family as a whole over from that period has shuttled between living in melbourne and in singapore uh-huh. for varying periods of time so i was actually born in singapore and moved here when i was six and a half there you go. Okay, so uh, do you think that countries like Australia embrace religions like Hinduism, uh, or do you find that people tend to move away from their religion when they move here? Um, from my experience, I think it's somewhat in the middle. So for quite a long time, I always felt that uh, my culture, so to speak, was kind of shunned by Western, particularly media in Australia. Um, there was no real acknowledgement, especially because in Singapore there's a quite quite a big Indian Hindu population. Yeah. In fact, Singapore is really good because they they have a station that kind of almost like SBS, but you have literally six hours just dedicated to Indian stuff on that channel. In addition, that, and that's a government uh, station. So yeah. Um, to go from that to coming to Australia, barring SBS, that also does all that kind of other culture stuff. I didn't really see much for quite a long time but I, I noticed last year that for Diwali they had giant banners up banners up at Flinders Street and I was like oh my god this yeah, is they fantastic have a Diwali that, festival yeah and now they have a huge number of different things that you know Fed Square had like a big thing apparently yes um, including a music competition yeah you obviously didn't listen to our no, show unfortunately not <laughs> um, and in fact uh, the colour run which has become quite big comes from I th- the North Indian Festival of Holi. Ah, um, yes. So the reason that they they've got pow- coloured powders powder thrown at them is it because that's a thing that happens at Holi. It started as a celebration of I, I, honestly I don't know what, um, but it's victory a celebration. It so yeah, and uh, okay. every year at uh, one of the temples here, uh, they run a huge Holi celebration and everyone goes. It's fantastic. Everyone gets really dirty. Awesome. Yeah. So the colour like run that. is just a colour part of it without the religious part yeah. of it. Yeah, so um, to be honest, I was a little disappointed when I found that out. I was like, so you took the funny part, the fun part of our culture and the, ignored the actual yeah. reason behind it. It's a bit like it's a bit like yoga in a sense. Yeah. It's, it's oh, become an I exercise have a, and not... I have a huge thing against um, the way... Western yoga mm. is practiced. Yes. Um, I once had a co-worker who absolutely butchered a bunch of terms in front of me and I couldn't really say anything because um, 
it was like you know I wasn't meant to have heard it because I had earphones in at work but like I was just because I, um, I heard the word yoga from her and I pulled out an earbud and just absolutely butchered terms so I kind of that and and um it's it's just it's been taken from something that is not necessarily a religious or cultural thing um but they've taken significant aspects out from Hinduism yeah. and made it this kind of like contemporary hippie kind Trendy of thing new age yeah and, you know you go in your yoga pants and and all of that nonsense and and then you drink starbucks afterwards but it's <laughs> it's it's not it, it was a form of exercise and it was a form of calming calm exercise and it was a way to um engage parts of your body in ways that you know you couldn't do in everyday life yeah. so you set time to actually engage and use those parts of your bodies and keep them fit and limber i guess and it wasn't just oh i want to get in shape for the summer so i'm going to do hot yoga like um <laughs> yes in in those aspects i, f- I feel uh, but at the same time i do appreciate that so, like it's acknowledged as something that's existing and valid because over for a long time i think non-western things have been kind of shunned by the west and to have have it acknowledged as something really valuable is kind i perceive it as kind of a win but i also really don't like the execution of it yeah if that means, it's, a, it's a complicated issue and it's not really about faith so I'll, yeah they've taken it on. and they've claimed it as their own without necessarily acknowledging where it came yeah. from so. yeah um yeah. it's kind of like the whole uh what they do at coachella all that nonsense yes <laughs> every year yes so getting personal now so where do you sit in terms of religion and spirituality uh, and in a broader sense, or just for my own? Just for you. Right, okay. So, so being brought up, obviously, in a, right. in a household with a prayer room and your dad prays for at least an hour yeah. every day, where do you sit? Um, I'm personally not particularly religious. Um, like, I don't, I don't sit down and pray to God or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, my perspective is that faith as a whole is... I, I think it's valid for people who it is valid for, if that makes sense. So if someone gets peace of mind from praying to a God or believing in a God, then that means that that is real. Yeah. Like, as long as it provides them with some positive re- response, I'm more than happy to be like, you do your thing. And honestly, if I got some... If, if you know, in the future, I felt like believing in gods or a God would provide me peace of mind, I'm open to being religious, like... It's just for me, where I am in my life right now, um, I never really turned to a god or gods, so to speak. So that's where I am. Um, I, I really am not bothered by people's really religiosity, for for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, I'm more than happy for them to do what they want, as long as they're not, as long as people are not causing harm. I really don't care. Um, and like, I'm also open to you know having conversations with people about faith despite not being a practicing person yeah. because I'm able to speak from experience and also hopefully, hopefully, and only other people can say, hopefully without judgment because I can understand what value they get out of it. So if you were to have children, mm-hmm. I know that you currently do not have children, but if you were to have children, do you think that you would bring them up with the knowledge of Hinduism or would you just let them explore that for themselves what um, do you think you would do in that i think uh in terms of the i guess less religious more cultural aspects of hinduism i actually yeah. still get a lot of value out of it definitely um 
like I, for, for example, clothing. Um, you know, I love wearing kurtas. They're freaking awesome. Um, and all that kind of stuff. I, I think all of that is fascinating. I still have uh, wear my religious thread, which I got when I was, how old now? 12? I was wow. 12 when I got it. Um, again, I'm not practicing it, but I don't get anything negative out of wearing it. And it's kind of become a part of me and who I am to be like, I'm that guy who has that thing. And sometimes, so what sorry. is it exactly? So um, within the Hindu system, there are a group of people called Brahmins. Yep. Um, and we're the so-called priests. And... Um, so it's almost a sort of, it's not a mandatory, but it's a commonly practiced sort of rite of passage for young boys to, I guess, become educated men, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I have never really thought of that, to be perfectly honest with you, but I would probably let them be aware of it because uh, I am a filmmaker and I'm, I'm fascinated by stories. And I think um, scriptures f- of pretty much any faith have the most fascinating stories there are yeah and they're the oldest stories that, that have been told um i would love to tell my kids you know the story of the mahabharata or the ramana because they're giant epics and you know i could it's it's just really fascinating stories and and there's a lot of history that is shown through the reading of the stories yeah. beyond just the the religion aspect of those poems they're also quite fascinating a story. So I think I, I would, hypothetically for my kids, I would probably read them those stories, whether it's Hindu texts or Christian or Muslim or Jewish or whatever. If there is a text that is a fascinating story, I'm going to tell my kids those stories. Awesome. So um, they would probably be aware of it. And you're on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9 where we've been talking to Srini about Hinduism and we've gotten just some of the personal stuff. Um I just wanted to know, are you aware of any places of worship or temples in Melbourne? Yeah, there are quite a few. Um, so my family tends to go to the one in Carum Downs. Um, yeah. It's off, like, I think Stud Road. Um, it's quite a while away from my house, but it's it's a beautiful space. Um, it's quite big, very peaceful. It's out in the middle of nowhere as well, so it's quite nice. I know there's about five or six scattered around Melbourne. Mm-hmm. There's one in Baronia. Um, there's a few out west, one near Point Cook, um, one near Caroline Springs. So there's quite a few. Yeah. Um, however, I haven't been to those. That's all right. <laughs> Do you know if there are like big communities that meet at these temples? Um, I don't know so much about congregations. Yeah. I do know that New Year's Day at the Caram Downs Temple is absolutely enormous. Yeah. Um, it's packed to the point where I tend to not go just because I don't <laughs> like so I don't like being in such big crowds. Yeah, um, but it's quite a f- massive in- engagement, so to speak. Um, New Year's Day is quite a uh, is considered quite an important day for people. Do you know why? No. There you go. Probably, probably to you know pray for a prosperous year New or year, something like I that. Guess. I don't know. That would make sense. Uh, so, what do you think are the core beliefs and values of Hinduism? Um, for me, it's always just been about uh, the the idea of duty, um, and it's not necessarily a, a tangible duty. It's it's it would be some you know the moral duty to as I said earlier today the the duty to just go, do good to the people around you, um, you know, uh, to raise your family with positive values, I guess whatever those positive values are, um, and there's a there tends to be a strong sense, at least culturally, of um, helping people, um, even if you're not necessarily in a place of complete comfort. For example, 
and I, I, do, I do personally think that this was um, at least in part due to the cultural uh, upbringing of people in India but in Chennai in November there were huge floods um, mm-hmm. weren't actually covered much by global media mm-hmm. in fact not even by national media in India um, but these floods were devastating I think the final death toll was over 400 but you, wow. there, were, there was footage of people you know um, it was a kid uh, on the first floor, so one above the ground floor. There was a window where it was just an absolute outpouring of water. That, that entire room was flooded and it was just f- pouring with water. And this kid just jumps up to the window and tries to pull someone out because they were stuck inside. Oh, my this goodness. Kid, you know, he's like a 15-year-old. Um, oh. And, you know, the, it's, it's about it's that idea of, you know, if you're able to help someone, you're going to you, you do yeah. it. You don't, like, hold on to comforts in a way. Yeah. Um, it's it's all about um I guess being a, a trying to make other people's lives better in a way. Um f- and something for example in the whole Brahmin culture which is no longer practiced due to practicality is that um and it was it was a sustainable thing back then was Brahmins w- weren't allowed to have um what's the word material possessions. So for example, they wouldn't save any money. Yeah. And part of that whole thing was you had to go and beg for food um, around your community. And wow. so every single day uh, they would go and beg for food. Every family would have, have had something left over to give to them. Yeah. So they actually allocate leftover grain and stuff to give to these people. And then they'd go and cook that for their dinner. So there was this real sense of giving and, you know, doing things for other people in a way. Wow. Um, and I think that's kind of... And I've also seen that in just the way my parents live... Um, they drop things at, uh, in an instant if it, if they can help someone. Yeah, so, so that's a always, huge sense of community then as yeah. well. Just yeah, and I think that's in my personal experience. That's what I've found is is a common thing amongst the Indian community that I've seen is always kind of banding together. So you're you're there for each other in a way. Help a brother out, pretty much. Yeah, that's nice. So on. Obviously, we're on Joy, and this is the LGBTI station. I'm just wondering if you know anything about the Hindu beliefs towards the LGBTI community. Okay, this is a little bit complex. Yeah. So, in practice, um, it, India, as a predominantly Hindu country, isn't exactly the best place in that uh, in terms of the treatment of LGBTI people. Um, in fact, it was only very recently that homosexuality was made not illegal mm-hmm. by the federal government. Thank, um, the, thank the British Empire for that. Yeah. We um, left, they left um, all their laws and yeah, half, in fact, half the world. Yeah, in fact, significant parts of the terrible parts of India came from, in my opinion, kind of came from British rule and invaders. That's another, that's another topic <laughs> We'll just shake our fists entirely. and move on. <laughs> that's another topic entirely. However, um, as far as I'm aware, there are... Uh, uh, there is a predominant community that is is doesn't fit into the heterosexual gender binary in India. Yeah. Um, it's quite common if you go on a train, f- say to a, another town or interstate. It's quite common to see people who are perceived as men in women's clothing. Um, uh, I don't actually remember the word that is used. Hydra. I actually don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I I do know that they uh, like. It's it's not necessarily that they're embraced, but they're more so like they're just they're, they're not attacked. They can be sometimes because there are bigots everywhere. Yes. Um, however, 
in my experience, I've never seen that kind of stuff. They just kind of they just kind of leave and be. A lot of people are just like, "You guys are weird, but do what you want." Which yeah. I, I, I don't know how I think of it because I've never experienced them to a that much of an extent, uh, yeah. as in ex- being around them. Um, however, I do remember once. I think November 2014. I was in. I was on a train to a village with my aunt and uncle, and um, one someone came up to me. Um, I, again, I don't know what they they consider themselves. I would, I would just refer to them as non-binary people. Yeah. Um, so they're third gendered. Yeah. So it's um, the third gender. They, yeah. And um, that is a kind of... It's considered a broad term in India as well. So they might be transgender. They may not be. I don't yeah. know. But one, pers- one such person came up to me and, and asked for a bit of money so they could pay for the train ticket. Unfortunately, I had no cash on me. Um, and I felt really bad because I felt like a lot of people would just shove them off that way yeah but my uncle was really nice and he's like i'll give you money if you bless us and they did wow. it was really fantastic um so i know that they are quite it's a quite a prominent presence in india um i don't know how they're tr- treated or or considered by the broader indian community i do know that in uh, a hindu text the mahabharata there was one particular person who um i guess they step around it in the telling of the story, but um, I think his name is Shikandi. So he was born as a woman, raised as a man, um, and the the reason he comes up in the story is because um, one of the warriors on one side of the war um, was... He was a very honourable man, but he was also effectively undefeatable. Um, and basically they used this guy Shikandi as a shield because Bhishma was like, I'm not going to fight a woman, because that yeah. was part of the, the rules back then. And... Look, this was thousands of years ago, so I don't know how it was considered then. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I guess there was a there was a there was an, a novel idea, I guess, of of using a, a, a I guess transgender person as a as a way to and using I guess the traditional or in my opinion kind of bigoted view of the other person to, uh, against them. Um, that, as far as I'm aware, may be one of the earliest records of a transgender person, at least in a religious text. As far wow. as I'm aware. Again, I'm not. I'm not an expert. That's my biggest disclaimer. Yeah. I'm not an expert on anything that's religion okay. based. Um, but yeah, um, I when I found that out, I was like, "That's fantastic!" Because um, I think again, a lot of the, I genuinely, and this is coming back to my whole thing about the negative impact that Western invasion has had on uh, India as a country. Yeah, I do actually, and and this I think happened in Africa as well. The, the whole the fact that. Um, homosexuality was illegal came from American missionaries um, I genuinely do believe that, that it was pl- all well and good back in the day and then yeah. something happened along the way and bigotry happened yeah, um, I mean that's a big generalisation but I think yeah I've read the same things about you know, Asia and Africa that it the, the West um, you know, Protestant missionaries tried to yeah. simplify them and things and move, put them into their their boxes, and then they left. And then Western countries have moved on, but yeah, yeah and, those and also it just it, invasions yeah. in general. Because mm. before the the Brits and the Dutch and the French invaded India, uh, the first invaders were actually Persian Mughals, and they were of a Muslim majority. Until until then, Muslims were effectively non-existent in India, yeah. as far as my high school history taught me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like even back then, before all the invasion happened, India was massively prosperous as a whole, whether it was through wealth or just culturally. 
Um, and after the whole invasion thing happened, all the invasions happened and all turned to shit and bang, sorry, language. That's all right. Um, it's after eight. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I actually think that, um, I think Hinduism in its, in and of itself has never condemned, um, I guess the non-binary, non-heterosexual norm that is now considered, now it's considered the norm, but I think, yep. I never, I, I don't think that there's any actual text that condemns it in any way. Um, it's just that people have as always people do bad things and they decided to twist it for their bigotry but i always felt proud that there was no nothing in any text to that hinted at condemnation awesome and you're on the spirit lounge on joy 94.9 where we've been talking to srini tonight about hinduism so a massive thank you for being on the show tonight srini my pleasure and it's a good night from rachel and mark and Claudine. And we'll see you next week. Ne- next up, we've got The Woods, and this song is Crystals by Of Monsters and Men. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.